Obsessed and So Obscure, Matt Berry Music Podcast. I'm Courtney, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host Tara. Hello. And Jesse. Hi. Today, we reach a milestone. We've hit the last of Matt's solo albums, as of this recording anyway. The Blue Elephant is not just my personal favorite of Matt's albums. It's one of my all-time favorite records, one of the ones I would take to my desert island with me. This record was the first one released after I discovered Matt's music, and there's always a thrill in seeing an artist you already love reach new artistic heights. I remember logging onto Spotify at the stroke of midnight on May 14th, 2021, and sitting enraptured for the full 45-minute runtime of the album. It's gotten me through some tough times, and it's still an album I turn to at the end of a rough day. However, with any artist as diverse as Matt, there's bound to be differing opinions, and I suspect we'll have plenty of those today. With all that being said, let's dive in. Acid Jazz put a really strong promotional push behind this album, probably the most we've seen of any of Matt's recordings. Matt did a lot of interviews to promote this album. We'll touch on many of those interviews over the next few minutes. And all that press paid off. Um, The album was a hit. It entered at number 11 in the midweek charts, largely on the strength of pre-orders, and then hit the peak chart position of number 46, so just shy of the top 40. This album was recorded in the summer of 2020 while in lockdown. And like Courtney said, it was released on May 14th, 2021. It came out on black vinyl as well as limited edition aqua blue and mustard. And really the mustard doesn't really do it a lot of justice. It's more of like a butter color, which is lovely. The mustard was available exclusively through Acid Jazz, and it's actually still available on the Acid Jazz website now. You can still order it. It said it was limited edition, but they didn't say how many. The aqua blue, which is basically just blue. It's not really aqua blue. I got that one on... So pretty. Yeah, I got that on Amazon. This was also obviously released on CD. There was like a Amazon exclusive with a different cover art. And then it was also on limited edition cassette tapes. I'm not 100% sure if those are still available on Acid Jazz, but I mean, I don't... (laughs) It is crazy that people are listening to cassette tapes. How do you even play them? I don't know. Like, do people actually have cassette players? Because what year is it? I like, I know everything like old is new again and everything retro and all that. And I mean, I have no room to talk because I uh, collect <laughs> records. So yeah, but like, yeah, that's pretty old timey. Yeah. Cause that's where paid in the ass back then. I can't imagine them being any better now. So I don't know if I it's just like do, a thing or what. But I they do, do have like, a cassette player. I could play it if I would buy it, but I would never buy it. Like who's buying these cassettes. I would love to know what their numbers are. Completists. Complete us yeah. by cassettes. Yeah. yeah. And they do look cool sitting they do. on your shelf. It's kind of a yeah. display piece. So yep. I don't I own some. one. I don't plan to own one, but I get the appeal. I had, I still have some cassettes from like when I was a kid. I still have some like stored away somewhere, but yeah, that's nostalgic. Yeah. I'm kind of nostalgic like that. So. I do too. Shania yeah. Twain, Elton John, like <laughs> Oh, I pulled out. Vanilla Ice, um, Suzanne Vega. My Suzanne Vega tape used to smell like patchouli, and it was great. (laughs) It doesn't smell like patchouli anymore. I just found it recently. 
My, my parents are master pirates, piraters. So rather than buying albums, they would just like, they got a reel to reel or something and they would just record albums <laughs> from their friends' LPs. And I discovered so many great musicians that way. I discovered Lou Reed, Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. The Doors, all from these like, like cheap pirated cassettes. That's so funny. I remember I used to make like the best mixtapes. I'd put, you know, have the dual cassette player, put the one tape in or I'd record them from a record. Like my mom has a really big record collection and um, a lot of singles too, like the seven inch singles. So I'd make mixtapes, so many of them off of her seven inch singles. It was fun. (laughs) I loved it. I literally, I literally found a bunch of cassettes that have my, 12 year old handwriting on them <laughs> and one of them just says like Alanis and I don't know what else it is I'm gonna have to listen soon and see because you would literally I don't know if you kids know this nowadays but you would literally have to sit there and wait for the radio to play the song you wanted and you would start recording so it would be like the DJ they'd be like hot 89 whatever and like you they started playing the song like it was it was a whole thing back then. Yeah. Tara, I think it's cute that you think our listeners are youth who <laughs> don't remember cassettes. I don't think that's our target demographic. No. I would love to hear no. if you are like a teenager who's listening to this podcast, please. Have you looked at our target demographics? Up. It's not that age group. <laughs> no. Tell there you might exactly. be one of them. There There's might be one a, of them. Our biggest, they just learned something. Our biggest listener uh, audience is, I think, 35 to 44. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We are that. 40s. Yeah. Yeah. 35 to 44. We have 7% of our listeners are in the 18 to 22 bracket. Hey, uh, see, they don't know. They don't know shit. They probably don't. They don't. How many are under 18? Uh, Less than 1%. Or under age, so like nobody, yeah. literally nobody, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's all thirty five <laughs> to forty four, and then right before that, it's twenty eight to thirty four, and then right after that, it's forty five to fifty nine. We've got to work on our youth appeal. How can we make this podcast <laughs> hipper? Uh, yeah, work on TikToks and work on the boomers. <laughs> We're on TikTok. We're on TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, so that's all we can do. We're trying. We're trying to get you guys. I think we're okay. We have a niche yeah. audience. We knew that was that was yep. what it was. Um, Matt played a total of 18 instruments on this album, yeah. including several types of guitar, which is insane. Yay. I'll make a full list and we'll, we'll yeah. do it. I'll put it on social media uh, if you don't have the album at your disposal. It's quite Several types of guitar and four types of synthesizers. Yes. That's a lot. Yeah, so yeah. there was some duplication, but it's still a lot. And pretty impressive. For the first time since Music for Insomniacs in 2014, Matt provided the album art for The Blue Elephant. This was also the first album since Music for Insomniacs where his face doesn't appear on the cover. Instead, we get a portrait of an individual who looks a whole lot like Joseph Merrick, the Elephant Man, wearing a blue mod suit and standing against a multicolored background full of lights. It's an evocative image and one that speaks directly to the album's themes of fame and privacy. Uh, As most of you are probably aware, Ben Meadows is responsible for most of Matt's photography and album art. And I remembered when we were doing this, I actually asked Ben about the cover art shortly after the album's release in May 2021. I said, I wanted to ask you about the cover art for The Blue Elephant. I know Matt painted it. And I saw the picture he tweeted of the elephant man painting on a black background. Did he add the circles after or did you superimpose two paintings for the cover? 
Ben replied, I had a brief of making the image very 60s, psychedelic, and terrifying. I sent Matt lots of different images until Matt liked a version that looked a lot like the final version. Then Matt was heavily involved in the final art direction. The circles in the design were very important to the final image. So it really does look amazing and psychedelic and tri- trippy. I don't Super think it's cool. terrifying in any way, but it's it's really no. cool. God, I do with the what look like flashing lights. I think this cover sums up the album so well. Oh yeah. Matt told Super Deluxe Edition on May 6, 2021, "It's not really the Elephant Man, although I am interested in the Elephant Man, but it's more about being looked at and being stared at. It feeds into that. That's the point of it." And in discussing the cover with Louder Than War on May 12, 2021, he told them, I got fed up with being on the front. I'd done that enough. This is a lot more open to interpretation. I didn't want to curb that by sticking my face on it. So if it's an image, then people can make of this album what they like. So Matt said in the same interview with Super Deluxe, It's really important, you know, because you want value for money, and you want these things to be tangible. I don't just want this to be some fucking thing on someone's phone which doesn't even have an album cover or even any track names. I haven't worked hard on it for it to end up like that. It's not good enough for it to end up like that. It's too lazy. But I am encouraged with how many labels now are doing physical and different formats. There does seem to be more physical coming from smaller labels. That's so true. And that's, I think we've talked about this before, but I feel the same exact way. It wasn't as much with music because of the portability issue, but with movies, for sure. When movies started just becoming streaming and you could download them Mm. from iTunes and stuff like that, I hated that. Like, I like to have a physical copy of the movie. I like to have the liner notes. I like to have the outtakes. I like to have all of that stuff. And yeah, with music, it's the same way. I loved it, you know back in the day when you'd open a CD and you'd have all the pages and you could just flip <laughs> yeah. through them or a tape where you could just open it all up. And yeah, that's all lost with Spotify and iTunes and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I, I really agree with that. I think it's yeah. important too. And that's one of the reasons I like collecting records is it's like almost like a piece of art. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. It's what the artist meant it to be yeah. and to be seen. Yeah, for sure. And for all of us who grew up with physical media, right? We all have that experience of just getting lost in an album, kind of like Jesse just named and just staring at the art while you kind of immerse yourself in the music. Yeah. And this is the perfect album for that. Yeah. You'd have the lyrics in there. It was great. So in contrast to Phantom Bird's minimalistic structure and production, the Blue Elephant is Matt's most ornately psychedelic production. He told Brooklyn Vegan on May 13th, 2021, What it is, a lot of the Blue Elephant is a reaction to recording Phantom Birds, which was very traditional in its song structure, song lengths, presentation to a point. I gave it a very mid to late 60s production where I had the drums panned hard to the one side and the vocal on the other and that sort of thing. So when I came to do the Blue Elephant, I wanted to do the opposite of everything that I just done. Because I'm like that with all art, whether it's comedy or whether it's music. I just wanted to go to a completely different kind of direction with a completely different set of rules for the Blue Elephant. As a result, you have songs that aren't traditional song structures, and a lot of the time there's no vocal at all. If there is a vocal, it won't appear until halfway through. Doing things differently to the traditional way. Given that the album was recorded over the course of several months in summer and fall 2020, the COVID pandemic significantly impacted the album's recording and production. Matt said to Guitar World on August 6, 2021, 
Because the Blue Elephant was done during a time when musicians couldn't get together, I was intent on doing something a lot more complex, involving a lot more overdubs. So I would play everything and build it up that way, but still keep that 60s vibe to it. On the Sonos Radio Hour podcast on June 24th, 2021, Matt went on to say, By the time I was doing the press for Phantom Birds, I was more than ready to kind of multi-track again and use every single instrument in the studio. And, you know, get back into playing the organ again, which I've always absolutely loved, and back into the guitars, you know, and pedals and amps and all those kinds of things. He told Super Deluxe Edition, What Phantom Birds was, and possibly the album before it, was this kind of traditional song structure. And I was just as interested in that, to see if I could pull off an album's worth of beginnings, middles, and endings. So by the time I did The Blue Elephant, I wanted to fuck all that and do a more freeform type of song. So you're not sure if that chorus is ever going to come back, or is it just a great long intro? That has always been interesting to me, and that comes from bands like Roxy Music. I remember when I first heard For Your Pleasure and Do The Strand, which was basically the chorus repeated the whole way through, and I thought, that was really interesting. And then a few tracks down the line you had... In every dream, home, a heartache, where it's just the verse the whole way through until there's a solo section at the end. Those kind of ideas, those approaches had always interested me. Like The Cure's Push, which is an intro that goes on for about three minutes before he starts to sing. So it was that kind of thing that was an influence on this. The Blue Elephant is meant to be listened to as a whole, and its songs are most powerful in the context of the full album. Throughout the album... One track flows organically and often unexpectedly into the next. Matt elaborated on this with Guitar World. It's one of the most fun challenges to dovetail songs together. It's as much of a thrill as when composers do overtures that are basically a short piece of music that covers all the melodies you're about to hear. Well, this had the same sort of joy for me in as far as I love to work out how to dovetail one song into another, and it can be done in all sorts of ways. It can be done with panning, it can be done with the keys of the last chord, all that kind of stuff. He went on to say, there was no plan in terms of which tracks go where or which track goes after anything. That's all done at the end. In terms of the recording process, it's a load of ideas I've got where I see what I can do and it's just whether the ideas will work or not. I think there were three tracks which didn't make the album, so it's just a load of different ideas and seeing how they fit together towards the end. That's a pretty strong ratio of songs that made it on to those that got rejected. That's really impressive. Yeah, and I have questions about that, too. (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) We'll get there. Yeah. Speaking with Phil Williams on BBC Radio 2 on May 13th, 2021, I just wanted it to be like a vinyl experience, you know. I wanted it to be a piece of work rather than something which, you know, I could take out of context. Uh, But, you know, like I've just said before, it's not up to me how people listen to your stuff once it's out. It was designed to be two long-form sort of pieces. You know, it's all kind of carved up to an experience to be had when you listen to it. But like I say, that's just sort of my starting point. In keeping with many of Matt's favorite albums, this is an epitome of a headphone record. Matt told Shindig in June 2021, Part of the intention of it is to be listened to with your headphones, the same way as I did with Jeff Wayne's War of the World or the original album of Jesus Christ Superstar. It's got to be an intense, atmospheric sort of experience. That was one of my intentions with The Blue Elephant. It isn't something you can switch off with. It's going to change gears fairly rapidly at different points. I think it's so funny that he mentions Jesus Christ Superstar there as a headphone album. And then um, in the previous quote, he talked about the overtures in the beginning, which is also Jesus Christ Superstar. 
He it loves really it. is all over his work. Once you hear it, yeah. you can't unhear it. Yep. Very true. Absolutely. So speaking with Brooklyn Vegan, Matt discussed how the pause in filming for What We Do in the Shadows, which usually takes him to Toronto for three months each fall, influenced the Blue Elephant's elaborate sound. He told the interviewer, It was a big factor because I was supposed to be in Canada doing this series starting in October, but obviously that got shifted to the beginning of the next year, so I had those three months spare, which was fantastic for me because it meant that I could properly finish the album and I could pour over the details, production details, the timing details, the playing details, all these things that I wouldn't have necessarily had the same time for if I'd have buggered off to Canada. It sounds awful when anyone says that they got anything positive out of lockdown, because I know so many people basically suffered. But if there was anything positive, for me, it just bought me that extra time just to spend on getting the album right that normally I wouldn't have had. Just recently on Tom Sharpling's The Best Show, which he did on March 7th, 2023, he said, I mean, that's the one that I'm most pleased with, I'd say, the Blue Elephant, because it sounded exactly how I wanted it to sound. I didn't have to change anything, you know. I'm not saying it's the best one, you know, but artistically, the one I'm the most sort of satisfied with. Many critics honed in on the album's authentically retro sound, which evokes the psychedelic classics of the 60s and early 70s. This was no accident. Matt meticulously recreated the instrumentation and production techniques of this era, which he's named many times as most influential in his musical sound and approach. He told the Beige Green Room podcast, Well, I didn't use any modern instruments. I did that really boring thing of having a tight kind of manifesto, and only using old effects and springs and all this kind of stuff. In the Super Deluxe Edition interview, Matt said, A lot of that gear is stuff I got in the early 90s that honestly didn't cost anything. People didn't want any analog stuff back then, and you could get analog synths for 100 pounds. I worked at Tesco, and everything I earned from Tesco went on to music equipment. And I think it was important to use the real thing for a lot of reasons. The most obvious being that if you all use the same plug-in and the same soft synths, as it were, everyone will kind of sound the same. Whereas with a lot of these things, the real vintage instruments... They will sound different because they're all wired differently, and that's how you get the sort of faults with them. Say, like, virtual Wurlitzer. Every note would be in tune, it would sound digital, and so it would sound slightly dead. Whereas if you use the real thing, not every note is in tune, so you get these faults. It's basically character. And so appearing on the Beige Green Room podcast on June 10th, 2020, Lenny Beige asked, Does stuff behave itself, being vintage gear? Or do you find that it's all over the place, like a mad woman's piss? Matt says, no, no, it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. It's technology, you know, from the mid-60s. And yeah, they're just kind of house fire material. They're a real sort of worry. What I need is something that has all those sounds in one keyboard, which won't catch fire once my back's turned. I may have to invent something like that. I'm like so worried now that his house is going to catch on fire. I know. Like, um, yeah. Please be careful. Please don't drink incense. Like, what are you? I hope he has fire, fire extinguishers. extinguishers. Yeah, yeah. maybe some over. fire retardant sound suppressing <laughs> material. That would be good yeah. too. I had like, the exact, exact same thought. Goes up like the rest of his house won't go up. Maybe you know. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully he's spotless too. There's a promo yeah. video for Korg that he did a few years ago. It's on YouTube where he's discussing his love of cork synthesizers. And he says something like, 
I can't take them on tour because I am worried they might catch on fire, but the new <laughs> ones don't. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But yeah. I love that uh, he's such a fan of these synthesizers that he went on their he's willing to uh, YouTube channel yeah. and talked about how they might catch on fire, yeah. fire on stage. I remember he tweeted something a long time ago about that, too. He had a vintage synth and he was worried. Mm-hmm. he was worried to plug it in. Because he didn't know it was going to happen, and then he posted right. a follow up that was like, "Okay, we're good." <laughs> On a I side think it was note, something I like need his to. Mom was worried, or something. Like that. <laughs> his mom's probably worried about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I need to yeah. incorporate the phrase "all over the place" like a mad woman's piss into my vernacular more. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Use it in a sentence. Yeah. We'll work on yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's where I'm going with that. Like. I like, I like, so a lot of the things I like about Matt is that, like, you're kind of learning, like, a British, like, kind of vernacular for stuff, and, like, I I really dug that, like, and I try to, like, get things into my regular. He didn't say that, though. Lenny Beige said that. I don't care. It's, it's <laughs> in my vernacular now. Okay. Like, a mad, you can picture Matt saying, a mad woman's piss. Yeah. You can. I you absolutely can. can. It's definitely a madism, even if it didn't yeah. come from Matt's mouth. Well, they are yeah. friends. He may have gotten that from Matt, even. So. <laughs> yep, that's canon. Lenny Beige, for anyone who's unacquainted, is uh, Steve First's podcast alter ego. The album's drummer, Craig Blundell, was interviewed by Believer magazine on July 7th, 2021, to talk about what the recording process was like. Craig said, I think Matt was trying to figure out how I worked at the time on Phantom Birds. Everything on Blue Elephant was first or second take. I don't hear anything before I arrive at Matt's, ever. When I heard Blue Elephant for the first time, none of it was a completed song. There was hardly any vocals on there. It was sketches. And that's why the takes have that edgy and a little bit not perfect feeling. Essentially what you're hearing are first takes. I like that edginess in a drum take. It brings excitement, that chaotic spark to a drum track. And that, that quote went on, uh, that interview went on for a lot longer. It got very technical. So um, like, we'll always post all of the links and everything if you want to read more about what Craig Yeah, Mandel check said. it out. Yeah, it's it's interesting, it, but it's it's very techy, And I don't know how, you know, yeah. interesting it is for the average listener. So, um, but on the guitar front, he told Guitar World, I used Rickenbackers a lot because I wanted that characteristic sound and I can't get that otherwise. I mean, you could possibly get something like that from a telly if you amp it right, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted the real thing. So there's Rickenbacker 12-string electrics, Rickenbacker 6-string electrics, lots of strats, and various Gibsons, and a Rickenbacker bass. That's everything I used. So like we said before, in total, he played 18 instruments. He played everything on this album except for drums and percussion, which was played by Craig Blondell. And when Brooklyn Vegan asked if he uses computers at all in his production, he told them, It's basically half and half. This sounds odd, but it's worked for me. Everything is recorded through an analog desk, so it has valves going through it, whether that be the drums, the bass, whatever. The whole thing goes through an analog desk. That then goes to the computer. The computer then goes to a reel-to-reel tape machine. You add tape compression and tape characteristics. That then gets put back onto the computer. It's an arse about face way of doing things, but it seems to work for me. It's so funny that that's the way he does stuff because I do stuff like I do stuff that is really similar when I photo, when I edit photos, when I do, um, you know, like digital art. And, and also when I, when I edit the podcast, I feel like I have several different ways to get to the same thing. 
and I like run it through different programs and I like photo editing, especially because I'll have different programs that I like that do different things. So I'm like, okay, do this, 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 save, do this, this, this. I'll run it back through here. And then here's the final product. Like yeah. there's got to be one that does all of them, but I just, you know, I've got a way of doing things and I do it. There's a lot to be said for finding your flow. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It seems like that's kind of the same thing. He knows what he's doing. This is his method. It may not be the best method, but it works for him. In the same Guitar World interview, Matt discussed his philosophy for shaping the vintage sounds and techniques he loves into something new. He said, when I approach this stuff and when I'm recording this, it's not pastiche. I'm not doing it as a joke. I'm doing it because they're the techniques and the kind of sounds I really love. So I'm just using them to get a sound I've got in my head, as opposed to going, do you know what? I'm going to sound like Pink Floyd today. I'm not interested in that. There's nothing to be gained from that because it's already been done. I wanted to do something different with those colors. That's the way I see it. I have a bunch of colors associated with psychedelia. Then it's a case of using those colors, but doing your own thing with them. I love that quote. Continuing with the Guitar World interview, the interviewer says the album has wonderful 60s trippy psychedelic vibes in places. You mentioned Roxy Music. What other early musical influences did you have? He said, I was pretty sensitive to music. So if someone played something that hadn't been anywhere near the charts, I'd be a little more interested in that. And that could be anything like someone at school who plays a guitar and then has Led Zeppelin albums. And you're like, what the fuck is this? The drums don't sound like this on the stuff in the charts. And I always look backwards when I was at school. It wasn't until maybe Nirvana came along that I was interested in what was currently happening because up until then it was bad house that was in the charts until I was in my formative years. That was good in a way because it did make me look backwards. And from then I found the doors and that changed a lot of things for me because never had I heard organ be placed as a lead instrument. And I was obsessed with the reverbs and things and that sunset sound slapback reverb. I've used that on this album and other stuff I've done. So these production techniques were a big influence. I mean, the influence for this album, I'd say, is albums made between 67 and 73 production-wise, which is the sweet spot for music, let me say. Yeah, I'm into Although that. I am a fan of bad house music. <laughs> I always whistle a little when he kind of denigrates the house music that That's was funny. big during his adolescence. Aww. CNC Music Factory were underrated. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Hilarious. Well, should we dive into the album itself? Yeah, let's yeah. do that. Aboard was kind of a teaser track released. It's not the official first single, I don't believe. But on in early March 2021, Acid Jazz released a very short teaser blip that had Aboard playing in the background. And then they released the full track on March 9th, 2021. This is kind of an uncharacteristic opener for him. But it really works in this context. It feels like a prelude to the album. Um, it's kind of a slow, slow building, almost jazzy track. At first you hear a singular synth chime before adding more and more melody, more percussion. It's not a loud bombastic track at all, where some of the songs on this album really are. And it's kind of a brave way to start the album. It really invites the listener in and kind of requires their trust to get on board. Uh, no pun intended.
The closest parallel I could find in his discography was an awakening on Witch Hazel. It kind of has that same just slow kind of build before the album really kicks off. That's what I said too. I said it's a nice little instrumental introduction with the sounds gradually building as it goes along. I I I think the melody is a little bit repetitive, but yeah, I agree with everything you said about it. It's it's just a really good opening. Yeah. And then, you know, with every songs in this album, the drums by Craig Mundell are just really punchy. They just, they punch mm-hmm. through on everything, but it's, I think it's really noticeable on this one. It is repetitive, but that is part of why it works for me. It feels like it kind of lulls you into a trance. It feels hypnotic, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The man is known for his good intros, and this is just like, it's a good intro to the album. Really, truly, like, that's all I can say about it is strong start. (laughs) Strong start. (laughs) Yep. All right. So, stars, what do we give it? I'll just kind of give the disclaimer that I am not going to dip below, like, four stars for most of the tracks on this album. Oh my god, okay. Um, I don't know. I never come up with my star ratings in advance. It's always off the cuff, so... Don't hold me to that. But <laughs> halfway through, you're gonna be like, you know what? I really don't like this song after all. <laughs> right, right. This album doesn't yeah. really work for me. What was I ever thinking? Change my mind. <laughs> I'll give it four stars, though. All right. Tara, what about you? 3.5. It's good. It's pretty good. It's not his best intro, but like, it's pretty solid. Yeah, I agree. I gave it three for the same reason. It's, it's good. It's not my favorite intro of his, I don't think, but. Didn't blow me away. Yeah. But it was good. But it's a good start. It's a good start yeah. to the album. Okay. So moving on to the first full-length track on the album, Summer Sun. He talked to BBC Radio 2 on May 13th, 2021. Matt says, well, I mean, like, that was a thought. You know, I kind of wanted that sort of almost kind of naive euphoria. You know, that you get when you have no ties or nothing to kind of worry about. And that was the thinking behind it, you know. I wanted it to be three maybe four minutes of that vibe you know might have worked or it might not have done it's you know who knows <laughs> he says that a lot i love it song really does capture that feeling of naive euphoria 
you have kind of the chanting, repeated lyrics, uh, pounding rhythm with hand claps in the background. The hand claps are kind of buried in the mix. I didn't hear them until I was really listening closely with head- headphones for this podcast, but they're definitely there. Um, and they actually add a lot of texture once you hear them. There's these jangly guitar melodies at the forefront. And Matt's vocals kind of mix in seamlessly. He told Flood magazine on May 17th, 2021, in terms of the music that I'm making, my voice is really just another instrument. I don't feel as if it's any more important than any of the other instruments that I record. It serves a sonic purpose. If I want to sound like 12 people in a village hall, then I do that. There isn't a main voice, but rather a group of voices. I've always enjoyed that. That's just an overall effect that I'm most interested in. Summer Sun is another example of that, a group of lead vocals within the mix. They're leads, but they're not pushing through the top. They're in the mix, filling their place with everything else going on sonically. Yeah, there's so much going on in this song. Mm. It's just got that super authentic, trippy 60s feel. The lyrics are really simple, repetitive. There's lots of panning, so this is why it's important to listen with headphones. If I said it once, I said it a billion (laughs) times. (laughs) There's lots of panning in the song from, it goes from the hard left back to center. And then at the same time, there's something different happening on the right side. So it's a full immersive experience when you listen to it with headphones. There's also an official music video for this song. I think this is the only one from this album. I think it's the only music video. It is. And it was done by uh, Gerard Georgie Cole, who's responsible for, I think, most, if not all of Matt's other videos. Most of them. I don't think he's done all of them, but he's done most of them. Most of the official ones. And it's it's so cool. It is so cool. George Giorgio Cole also did the opening credits for the Squeamish About series, which is not available here whatsoever. But if you ever Google it, you can see the opening credits. It's uh, It matches the song perfectly. It's it's really amazing. He also, uh, this line, I don't, he's, the line, speak the truth before the lies, hear the lark before he dies. I have no fucking clue what that means. Does anybody have any <laughs> idea what that means? I think he likes birds. <laughs> He just likes talk about birds. On Spotify, it says here the. It doesn't say lark, but I think it is lark. Oh, yeah, it's definitely lark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. I kind of like it. It's a bit poetic, but no clue. There's also a really, really, really good bit of organ around the two thirty mark. That's the first trippy organ sounds. Yeah, the song. I do like me some organ. It just is like it feels like you're just. I don't know. I didn't live in that time. I think I even mentioned that that when this first came out, when I first heard it, I was like, it just makes you, it like takes me back to a time that I never lived in, but I always kind of wanted to live in like the 60s, late 60s, early 70s. Not the early 70s. I mean, the music from the early 70s is the best, but like the late 60s, you know, that's where it was happening. This is by far the most streamed song on the album, at least going by Spotify. And I don't find it really surprising. It's just like a fun little song. And I'm really relating to it right now because in Canada, we have dealt with now probably seven or eight months of bullshit winter. And now it's the summer sun and you're just kind of worshiping it. And I've been listening to this album a lot lately and I'm worshiping the sun. And I love that Matt can't stop himself from like just singing about the seasons changing. No matter what type of music he makes, he above all else is just obsessed with the changing seasons and the emotions they evoke. 
And I just found this song just like a pure little psychedelic celebration of all that is good in life. I love it. I love this song. So I would agree with you on this song being a pure psychedelic celebration, but this is one of the few, really the only song on the album that doesn't really work for me. It is very retro, but kind of self-consciously so. It just sounds like such a deliberate throwback that it's hard to hear it as anything but an effort to recreate this 60s garage rock sound. Like the ver- uh, reverb on the vocals and the bridge is just a little too over the top for me. It doesn't really add much, um, but it does replicate that sound. And really even more than that, it doesn't fit with the themes on the rest of the album. If you listening to this album as a whole, there's kind of there's repeated themes of privacy, solitude, being in the spotlight, struggling with kind of being the center of attention and the push-pull around that. This song has nothing to do with that. To me, it feels like Acid Jazz just wanted a single and kind of (laughs) said, all right, Matt, we need something catchy that will get some radio play. And it did. We read that BBC Two interview. Even the music video that you mentioned, Jesse, it looks like back-projected vocals from a 60s rock club. Um, So it kind of, in the same way, replicates the aesthetic of that song. But to me, it like draws on its inspiration without really expanding upon it. Ooh. I kind of I, I agree with you on that. I think I get what if you're you saying. Separate the song from the album because of the theme. Because you're right, it, theming it doesn't it doesn't fit on this album at all. The musically it does, but mm-hmm. the theme of it, it does. does not because it it is more of a celebration. The rest of it is a complete fucking downer. Um, <laughs> And I think maybe of all of this album, because I don't think it's pastiche, like he said, but I think this song, he leaned a little bit too heavy into it, even though I still love it. Like, I think he just, I think he nailed it, but he also leaned very heavily into it, maybe more than he needed to. Like, it's, he's like, I'm going to make a 60s anthem, and he made a 60s anthem, even though it doesn't really go with everything else. It sounds a little bit like kind of an experiment more than... A personal statement. Yeah. 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 Um, it was a song he was clearly, clearly proud of. He used it in the rock club scene in Toast of Tinseltown, which he was mm-hmm. writing around the same time he was recording this album over COVID lockdown. So when he, you know, it's his show, he had a little bit of opportunity for self-promotion and this was the <laughs> song he picked. But yeah, it's kind of the low point of the album for me, which is still pretty oh. damn good. I know I said nothing's going to go below four stars. But I totally reserve the right to comment <laughs> said, on that. You said you were yeah. going to change your mind. <laughs> and, yeah, she did immediately. Yeah. Immediately. The immediately. first real song. <laughs> she's she's now gets, discovering that I, I, maybe I, I, yeah, I don't like this one. Three after. stars. Three? This gets three <gasps> stars. It's okay. Oh my I mean, God. even though I agree with what you said that this does not necessarily fit on this album, I still think it's a masterpiece of the song and I think it's five stars. <sighs> It totally fits. Wow. Like, I, 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 yeah, like, I get what you're saying. I totally, you're so smart. You're so good at this. Like, you sounded amazing. But this is a fucking kick-ass song. This is, like, the song that's been stuck in my head. I've been listening to this for weeks. This song is stuck in my head. It's four to five stars. I don't sure. listen to it that often. I don't listen to this album very often. No, at not all. at all. But, um. Not at all. I think if you took it off of this album and you just made it a single, made it its own standalone thing, if you put it as a B-side to Beatmaker, you know, 
then oh, it would totally work. I think it's a five stars. I I love Matt talking about the fucking seasons. Like, sing to me about the seasons. Like, he's just always so good. Courtney and I were at Epcot for the entire day on on Sunday, and um, we were in the sun all fucking day, and it was <laughs> the summer brutal. Sun. It's not even summer yet, and it was like ninety two degrees. And then the next day, I was like, "Hey, you know, this would be a really good day to like." I took the day off. I'm going to go to the beach, which I never do because I hate the sun. So, yeah, I don't know why I thought to do that, um, but I did it. Oh, I thought to do it because I knew that I needed to prep for a bunch of stuff with the podcast. And I, if I was going to stay home, I wasn't going to concentrate and do it. I was going to do other things. So I was gonna go to the beach. I'll have no distractions. I'll just go by myself, sit in a chair with an umbrella. And it looked um, very nice. I was super oh, jealous. It was a super perfect jealous. beach day for somebody that doesn't like the beach. But yeah, no, it was, it awesome was um, looking. It was hot. It's hot. I hate the sun. I hate. The sun. <laughs> I <laughs> want I like to switch song. places. Yeah. Do you want to live here? I can live there because, yes. like, let's do it. I'd be okay for yeah. a year at House least. Swat. I will leave Texas, move to Canada, take your health care. Yes. I will take you up on that. <laughs> take your normal-ish government. Yeah. <laughs> normal. They're pretty, they're okay. They're okay. But, like, literally, like, we You're just got out of winter. The, he's Sorry, pretty hot. I'm that? not going to lie to you. <laughs> he's, he's pretty hot. People are like, oh, like, so I live in the country, and, like, people are like, fuck Justin Trudeau. And I'm like, but, like, do you mean, like, fuck him? Like, <laughs> what are you saying? Do you mean, like, like, he is literally? pretty hot. Because it's pretty, yeah, I would too. <laughs> I so would funny. too. So, the um, next one is Safe Passage, and I think it's just like a little kind of fun, like filler song. Like, it's very short, uh, just gets you into the next song. is actually this is a sister song we talked about this in our interview with phil that this has an overlapping melody with two sequences from the milk Milkbone album that matt made with james edge and phil scrag he worked on these both at the same time there's another one coming up that has the same that's a overlapping one too and yeah i always i like that now knowing that they're connected in that way they recorded simultaneously and there's some overlap between them, but yeah, it's a just a really short track. There's some like nice, there's like some out of place guitar strumming at the end, but I, I really like that. I like that you just hear that, just that isolated that guitar strum. So I think it's kind of cool. It's definitely a transitional track. It kind of has this jazzy syncopated sound, which recurs throughout the album. You hear it on the Blue Elephant, the title track. You hear it kind of pop up all over this album. Um, but there's an organ that comes in at 44 seconds, which kind of cuts through the song and adds some texture. Lends it kind of makes it a little more interesting. 
I agree that this really works primarily to kind of move you on to the next track, but I think it works really well in that sense. It has a kind of looping hypnotic feel, which lulls you into a sense of safety and security, same as a board, as a board does. And then when the next track kicks in, it just really kind of feels like a punch. Yeah, it does. This is one of those albums where I can't tell when I'm listening to it. I have a really hard time remembering which track is which. Yes! Because they do yes. all, you know, it's supposed to be like that, that they all just run into one another. But it's yep. hard in this context because I'm like, wait, which one was Safe Passage again? Because <laughs> they just flow together. So it's hard to differentiate them. But yeah. Agreed. Completely. So uh, I gave this one four stars. I think it's very good. Yeah, four stars for me too. It's not the most memorable song on the album, but it does what it's supposed to really, really well. I, ga- I gave it a three. I'm sorry. It's like, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's not a four for me. Moving on to Now Disappear. Yeah, this one starts off with a bang. He says, <laughs> it's a drag to be set on fire. <laughs> this song, man. So I I mentioned earlier, that I don't listen to this album that often. And the reason is because I just find it insanely depressing. Like, I feel like he was going through some major heavy shit during lockdown or just during this time in his life in general. And I think you can really, really hear it in so many of these tracks. And this is the first one where it hits you. It's a drag to be set on fire. talked about it a little while ago before we started recording about whether this could be sort of a reference to cancel culture, the cancel culture climate. He went on to say something about being sacked from the choir that could also fit. And we do know he also deleted his entire Twitter history not long before this came out, maybe like, uh, you know, a year, uh, maybe not even a year before this came out. So I'm wondering if that was kind of like he was seeing what was happening with other high profile people and he was just like well I'm not even going to take that chance and he just deleted everything and then he says I came back to I like how he says I came back to Bedfordshire like he says it like a fucking American like it's Bedfordshire (laughs) so I came back to Bedfordshire and then he rhymes it with welcome back now disappear which (laughs) is brilliant and I think this is like the overall theme of the album it's just depressing and it's the reason it's so hard to listen to it just seems like he feels like he doesn't belong anywhere he can't find his footing in the world 
he can't find a proper balance between being famous and recognizable and being forgotten and obscure. And he just wants to live his life normally, but he can't. But on the upside, the song does have a super trippy bass line and guitars. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say is like, this song is, you know, a, a little bit depressing. Like none of us want to be set on fire. That's very fair. But there's like a horn or maybe it's like a synth horn. I don't know what it is, but during kind of the climax of the song it's just like exactly what the song needed to just like take it over the top it lifts it i i love it like i love Mm -hmm. it i can't help but you you kind of get kind of enthralled by it i have thoughts on this song (laughs) i think this is (laughs) i have a feeling you're not gonna like that he rhymed bedfordshire and disappire (laughs) i I just that's just a thought that i have i was listening to something like courtney is not gonna like that part (laughs) it's a choice (laughs) that actually doesn't bother me because I like that he has kind of injected his like sly sense of humor even into this really intense kind of brooding song Yeah, I think this is one of the best songs he's ever written this is oh if I was to make a ranking this might make the top five certainly top ten oh wow it feels like, a, I agree with you, Jesse, that it feels like a thesis statement for the whole record, uh, both musically and in the lyrics. It's so intense mm-hmm. uh, and just builds and builds in intensity of every key shift, creates this just unsettled, uneasy energy. The tempo changes. You can't really get your bearings. There's this like persistent chirping noise in the background that becomes more prominent as the song builds until it comes to the forefront of the song. It's just kind of like almost scratching at the door for me. It's kind of this nagging, nagging noise that kind of just hovers over the whole thing. I think this is Matt's best technical vocal performance in his entire catalog. I will go to bat for that statement. He has this really rich vocal tone. He hits these long sustained notes that I don't think he could hit earlier in his career. And the lyrics, I love the ambiguity. I don't agree with you, Jesse, that's about cancel culture. I don't hear that. I mean, who knows? But to me, they feel a lot more personal. I don't know what being sacked from the choir means. I don't know what being set on fire means. I suspect they have have to do with events in his life that we'll never know about. But then coming back to Bedfordshire, it's so ambiguous. Is it a retreat? Is it admission of failure to go back home? Most of you are probably aware that Matt is from Bedfordshire, from Bedford. Is it a welcome change of scene? It just works on every possible level for me. I think it's a triumph. I gave it five stars. Easily five stars for me. (laughs) 3.5. Damn it, Tara. We're never going to agree. Like, I don't dislike this song by any means, but it's never struck me. And then I was just like listening to Courtney speak about it. And I was like, yeah, it is so good. Like, (laughs) you're so so right, you know? There's a billion Um, things happening all at one time. Yeah, but it it doesn't change my like, uh, you know, feeling of it. I'm not here to change your mind. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's what we're here for is we always typically we're always quite different yeah well you can start off with the next one so the next one alone i don't know how i feel about this one like i really enjoy the lyrics as you all know i'm very lyric driven but like a lot of songs on the album it's not very lyric driven but what he says i find you know, quite striking. It's a little bit 
melancholy. Every single line, except from the last one, just literally says, alone. the music itself really straddles the line between being upbeat and being slow and sad. It's creative and it's interesting. I kind of don't know how to take this song and the melody is like a little bit familiar and it bothers me. I don't know what it sounds like, I but know what it, it like, sounds like. Oh, okay, tell me. No, go please. Ahead. Okay, no, no, that's all. That's all I have to say. Oh. Like it, it just <laughs> It's like there's something in there. It's the beginning of it. It sounds like a pastoral throwback to Witch Hazel or Kill the Wolf. It doesn't sound, hmm. when it starts off, it doesn't sound like um, the Blue Elephant. It, it does, I think if you put that beginning into Kill the Wolf or Witch Hazel, it, nobody would have thought anything of it. But okay. then it picks up and there's more psychedelic qualities. That's interesting. I'd never thought about that, but I totally hear what you're saying. Musically, this song is completely different than Now Disappear, but the themes carry over. Listening to this song again, I kept going back to that line about being sacked from the choir, feeling like you're unable to fit in, unable to feel comfortable. That's definitely something people have remarked upon watching videos of Matt. He often just seems like he doesn't feel comfortable, like he always kind of wants to make a run for it at the nearest opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I suspect that's a feeling he knows well. The lyrics are kind of meditative, kind of languid. He just repeats all the places and all the ways he feels alone. But they're ultimately, ultimately less important than the tone that they create. Something that comes up over and over in this album, the repetition, repetition and that feeling of just kind of being lost. Musically, the beat feels like a shuffle listening to it. Uh, for this review, um, I kind of had this image of Matt just like, kind of kicking a rock down the road. Like, it feels oh, like that to yeah, me. Just picturing him as, like, Charlie Brown. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, there's another organ solo at about one minute, 40 seconds in, but unlike Summer Sun, where the organ feels celebratory, this one feels downcast. It just fits the overall mood Sad. of the song. Yeah. That's so funny. Sad. I said the organ solo at 140 is superb. <laughs> it is superb. <laughs> it really is. So, but it's very moody. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, like, again, this whole, this song sounds like he's just depressed and a, adrift and it's heartbreaking. And now it's even more heartbreaking than I can picture him as Charlie Brown moping. <laughs> kicking a can around! Kicking a oh. rock down the road. And now I'm even more heart heartbroken I and depressed. I can't get that out of my head. Yeah. That's in my head now. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So um, the vocals are like... They're kind of monotone. He's not really singing. Mm -hmm. He's not really talking. Uh, yeah. And I feel like that happens a lot on this album overall. And you know, this whole album is like super atmospheric. I 
think that goes without saying, but this one is really notable. The second half of this song really reminds me a lot of uh, music for Insomniacs. It has mm-hmm. a lot of the same sort of sound effects and that the drums are just keeping it up tempo and it's almost like a freestyle jazz kind of drumming. Mm. It doesn't really have a consistent beat, but it keeps it really interesting because I think this song could have been boring if not for <laughs> the drums. It yes. just adds a different layer yeah. to it. I'd agree with that. Yeah. It yeah. is a heartbreaking song, but it's also one that I think most of us can identify with. Yeah. Who doesn't know that feeling of just being alone everywhere you go and no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say, like, y'all are going to want to stage an intervention for me by the time this is done. Because <laughs> I oh, no. identify with a lot of the darker aspects of this album. Yeah. Oh. No, I'm okay, I, I swear. That- I think that I do too, and I think that's also why I, it makes me feel terrible for him that he was clearly going through something dark and I don't know, maybe some a kind of identity crisis of some sort. COVID was tough for everyone, and even not really having any sort of a lockdown. I know he got something amazing out of it by writing this album, but it was, a, I'm sure, a very hard transition. And what happened before, obviously, because his previous album was a breakup album so maybe he was a fully over that and well that's it yeah that's just... exactly what i'm thinking is that he was coming off of phantom birds which yeah. broke my heart in so many ways yeah. and that's my like, this is like heart breakup album this is like heartbreaking yeah. on a completely different level though it kind of kills you a little bit it, it it makes you feel a lot and uh I, I hope the next album is really kind of, like, happy. Like, yeah, like, I, I really do. I really hope that. I think you're both right. And kind of looking at the flip side of things, I do think that as dark as this album gets, it was really cathartic for him to get this out. Because like if it. you... Yeah. He did a lot of press over COVID, some music press, a lot of press for what we do in the shadows, a lot of um, kind of Zoom interviews and video interviews from his home studio. And in a lot of those, he looks really happy. He seems like he's in a good mood. He's talkative. He looks like he's taking good care of himself. And so I think whatever was going on during Phantom Birds, and I don't think it was just the breakup. I think there was probably a lot of grappling with fame and Mm -hmm. grappling with who knows what in his personal life. But whatever dark place he was in, um, I think this album really helped him get through to the other side. It seems like it. So how many stars did you guys give this one? (laughs) 3.75. It was almost a four. Yeah. I gave it four. 4.5. It's not a standout, but but it works. Good. So this album definitely has kind of a loud, quiet, loud dynamic that repeats throughout its run. And so uh, Alone segues right into one of the louder songs on the album, Invisible. Thank you. 
This is the first occurrence on the album of something we would see over and over, which is that he distorts his own voice. You hear kind of distorted, echoing lyrics. It's not really possible to make out what he's saying. And he goes to that technique over and over again on this album. Um, I'll expand a little bit later on why I think that is. But it the fast tempo of the song uh, really kind of replicates what it feels like to have racing thoughts. This sounds like a panic attack feels. That's just what came to mind listening to it. The song sounds and feels like a panic attack. Mm. And ends with the sound of elephants before segueing into a really pretty precise replica of the Beatles' A Day in the Life, but the Anthology <laughs> 2 version. Speaking of that, in super the Super Deluxe Edition interview, the interviewer brings this up, and Matt says, well done, well spotted. But not only that, I've recreated the bit that goes up to that. So the harpsichord, the phone, the organ, I didn't exactly. I've always wanted to do it in the past, but I've been a bit nervous of doing that before a song. But this album was the perfect place to do it. But that was fun. That was a whole morning of listening to the original, stopping it, doing it, making sure it sounded exactly the same. So what he's talking about in that is that at the two minute and 25 second mark, it slips in right before it slips into the next track. You hear it basically exactly the first 19 or so seconds from A Day in the Life, but the one from the Beatles anthology, too. Yeah. And if you really, really, really listen and you turn it up with headphones, you can even, you can hear the ringing bell. It's like all the way in the back. It's like the left mm-hmm. channel, but you can hear the ringing, the, the telephone, I'm sorry, but you can, you can hear it. And I don't know why he thought it was important to do this particular recreation. I don't know what it was about the Beatles Anthology 2 version in particular, like this particular outtake, but I thought it was really interesting because when I first read that interview, I was like, I don't hear a day in the life anywhere on this album. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. we realized it was the Beatles Anthology 2 version. And we're like, oh, okay, okay. And then I'm like, here it is. That's definitely um, that's definitely where it is. So listen to the Beatles Anthology 2, the first few seconds of it you'll hear. Yeah. And then listen to this and you'll hear exactly what he's talking about. Have the mic on the piano quite low. Just keep it in like maracas, you know. You know those old pianos. Um, and then I think it slips into the next song, too. I think it's a little bit of a crossover, but... Yeah, it it's a really good it, crossover. Yeah. 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 So, I yeah. love... Oh, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, I love that he did um, insert the sound of elephants before going into that Beatles riff. To me, yes. it's kind of paying homage to his influences while leaving his own stamp, too. It's making it his. I didn't, you know, and that's what's so funny is <laughs> I don't know if that's actually elephant sounds, but that's how I described it. I said it's the first appearance of what I call the wounded elephant sounds. Oh, 
I don't I know that's if that's exactly what it, what it is, is, but that's what it sounds like to me. Guys, guys. Is that what you said too? No, absolutely oh. not. So oh. you guys are like so in tune. You're oh. like, these are elephants. <laughs> I don't I was know like, if it is or not. These are, these are dinosaurs. <laughs> these are dinosaurs. Just 100% never, like, it makes complete sense that they are elephants. Like, it's the fucking blue elephant. But 100% in my mind, I was like, I fucking love dinosaurs. And, like, he's put these dinosaur sounds in it. Except and so, nobody like, knows what dinosaurs actually sound like. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, like, they, they sound like that. They yeah. sound like that in but my they, mind. You never know. So, like, you guys said that, and I was like, oh, he was watching Jurassic that makes Park. sense. Who knows? That makes so sense. So I'm going to go cinema cinemaphile on you for a second. So Matt has talked in many interviews dating back years about how one of his all-time favorite films is The Elephant Man, mm-hmm. which is a David Lynch film. I don't remember offhand which what year it was made. 1980. Um, 1980, thank you. Really beautiful film. Highly recommend to anyone who hasn't seen it. But one of the kind of stylistic flourishes of the film is that It's interspersed with shots of elephants, and they make that noise. I think that's what he's deliberately calling back to. Yep, that would make sense. I was like, they're dinosaurs, and this is why you have me here, because they have, like, the stuff that makes sense, and I'm like, they're dinosaurs. Like, no, let's get on topic. (laughs) I referenced the elephant man later, and that's the only reason why I knew that it was 1980, because I actually looked it up for some reason. Oh, I, I thought that movie was older than that. I didn't realize it was 1980, but... I've seen that movie and I thought it that was. was older than that. Uh, David Bowie actually played the Elephant Man in, I think, the first stage production. And it was kind of one of the one of the conceits of the play that the actor playing John Merrick never... Is it John Merrick or Joseph Merrick? He goes by both. both. Mm-hmm. Just Joseph, but yeah. The actor playing Joseph Merrick um, doesn't wear any makeup. They just look as they normally do. And it's on you to imagine this oh. uh, kind of deformity that everyone's That's responding to. I didn't what you that. can imagine with someone who looks like David Bowie is kind of a stark contrast. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't get that whole yeah. David Bowie sexy thing. Not my thing. Oh, what? Yeah. What? I don't. Oh, so we need the to have androgyny? No, I, the androgyny? No, I don't so like hot. I don't like the androgynous look. Oh, I'm into that in a big way. Anyways. The thin white duke thing. Oh. Also, I spent most of my life with him terrifying me because of the movies that he was in, so I can't look (laughs) at him like that. Um, But did you never see the cod piece and be like, "Mm, no. That cod piece was very formative for me. (laughs) So my thought, what I kept hearing in this song, I love this song. I I really love this song. I think this is my favorite one on the album, like just hands down. I keep hearing like Twilight Zone here and there. I I get that. And I'm really into that. It definitely has kind of a sci-fi feel. At 120, I noticed something. What? There is this, it's like, I, I called it a reverb. And then I brought it to my husband and he's like, that's a phalanger effect. And hmm. it's this beautiful effect where you're kind of like in one tone or I don't know, I'm not good at music. You're in something. And then you kind of like switch it to another. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. And uh, my husband was impressed. He's like, I'm impressed that you noticed that. It's called this and this and this. And he knows music. And I never, I never ask him about anything about the podcast 
probably he's like, what, like, why aren't you? Because I'm so stupid. I'm like, this song is good because of this reason. But this time I was like, something happened here. And he's like, yeah, it's the flan. I don't even know what I'm saying. You're right. Happening. Flanger. Flanger. I don't know what it was. But I think you're right. Flange, flange, flange pedal. Yeah. Flange, okay. Yeah. He, he was, I showed it to him and he's like, that's a really amazing transition. Like that is super cool that he came up with that. I'm like, cause Matt Berry is a genius. <laughs> so I, I agreed with what you said to Courtney about the, how the song just feels. I, I didn't say this. It felt like a panic attack, but it just does feel like as it's a really slow building song and it gets more and more frantic as it goes on. So I can totally see that point about it being like a panic attack. Like you're just like, you're okay. And then you're like, the world is ending. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I couldn't tell with the vocals on this, if it was because it is unintelligible and he does do reverse tracks later on. So I couldn't tell if these were yeah. reversed or if it's just unintelligible, but I think it's just unintelligible. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of distant. So I gave this one four stars. I gave it 4.5 out of five. I love this song. It is so good. I'd say 4.5 as well. Yeah. Well, okay. So moving on to Blues Inside Me. So this is the only track has a guest vocalist, Rosie McDermott. This song takes so many twists and turns. It starts completely different than the way it ends up, which is really cool. Uh, Around the 50 second mark, there's some haze and hose. And I don't know if maybe that's possibly another little Easter egg to his um, Dancing with the Stars theme, because that's pretty much what he does on Dancing with the Stars. Every man, woman, and dog is looking for me. They're looking for
sometimes I've got some things on my mind I don't know what to do But there's no one I'd rather be with than you Cause I know I got the blues inside me today I know There's a black cloud coming my way We can drive all night I don't care where we go I got friends, I got cash at the end of the road Got a couple of G's that we can make last As we head to the future, drive away from the past I know I got the blues inside me today The whole song is the same theme of wanting to disappear, going through something heavy. Uh, the vocals in the second half of the song are really, really good. I love it. Uh, the whole second half of the song actually is just fantastic. And then there's a, a part where he says, got a couple of G's that we can make last as we head to the future, drive away from the past. This is a really, really, really poetic, cool lyric. And I like 99% sure that it's a drug reference. My first thought was mm -hmm. it was a cocaine reference because he calls it oh. G's and that's usually how cocaine is weighed by the gram. I don't know. Could just be poetic license. And then towards the end, the Baradas with the backing vocalist is <laughs> really cute. I really love that it just gives a nice little lift to an otherwise super heavy album. And yeah, blues inside me. Fantastic. I love this song. Yeah, it's like it's like two songs mushed into one. It really is. And I love it's about a minute and 50 into it when it kicks into like what I call the real song. <laughs> I, I, it's not that I don't like the beginning, but I, I, I really like this whole song and the lyrics, they're just, they're wonderful. And you just picture yourself lying in the back of a car, looking up at the stars, trying to shake the world off your shoulders. You know, you're feeling slightly hopeful while in a glum mood. And I love when Matt does this type of song because he does this quite a lot where it's this happy, upbeat sounding song, but the, like the lyrics are not necessarily where the beat is at. Yeah, the lyrics are super heavy. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> First of all, Jesse, I just want to say I agree that I think it's a mild drug reference, but I think he's talking about just good old marijuana. I didn't even fucking see that at all. I was just like, we got a couple of G's. Like, we're fucking, I got some money. We're fucking getting out of here. Yeah, that's just always what yeah. pops into my head is like a gram of Coke. So yeah, this song definitely kind of takes you on a journey. It feels like it's composed of different suites. And I think that was very intentional. In the May 6, 2021 Brooklyn Vegan interview that we've already quoted a few times, Matt said, what I wanted to do there was mess around with the traditional song structure. So I wanted it to feel like a dream that had drastically changed gear. So one minute you're in one part of the world, and the next minute you go through a door and you're in the other side of the world type thing. That was the main intention, just basically having a song which plonks you in two different places during the course of one song. I suppose much like Fleetwood Mac's The Chain, where you've got the folk part which turns into the 4-4 rock part, that kind of thing. I don't hear The Chain in this, but I do hear that kind of abrupt transition that he talked about. Jesse, I disagree with you in that this song 
kind of actually feels playful to me. The lyrics, he talks about everyone looking for him, but to me, there's a sense of fun to it. Um, everyone's looking for him, but he doesn't seem to mind. He seems like he's almost teasing them, which to me speaks to a really push-pull relationship with his fame. This comes up in some other tracks on the album as well. Mm. Um, obviously, he's not always comfortable being famous and kind of increasingly famous, but there's clearly sides to it that he enjoys too, and I think this song is kind of playing on some of that. The tone shifts as the song progresses from jubilant to kind of downcast and hazy, Rosé McDermott's mumbled vocals uh, kind of add to that hazy, dreamlike feel. And the lyrics move from abstract, you know, everyone's looking to me, to really specific. This image of lying in the back of the car, looking up at the stars, it paints a picture. I, I'm with you in that I love that, I don't even know how to describe it, bum 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 part. Um, <laughs> Think about boss. The word, word, wordless section, we'll just call it the wordless section. Yeah. Because it feels like a reverie. It feels like he's lost in thought and the mm -hmm. mumbled vocals kind of invite you in. And then what really works for me is around four, four minutes, nine seconds in, the tempo speeds up. You hear these hand claps. You hear these kind of distant echoing vocals that he uses in a few places on the album. And it just snaps you out of that reverie. You hear a recurrence of those shouting vocals from the start of the song. And I love the idea that that's a kind of nod to Dancing with the Stars. I'd never heard that before, but Do you think I it so. is? I don't know. Maybe. Probably not, but it's fun to think about. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. We're speculating. So what I get from this song is there's this peaceful interlude where he's with the person that he the person who there's no one else in the world he'd rather be with than them. But that peaceful interlude can't last long. And then it's back to the chaos of his life. Totally agree. It's a bummer, man. This is my favorite song on the album, like hands down. And it's also one of my all time favorite songs that Matt's ever done. What? On any oh, of his shit. albums. I get that. Really I've been blown away by you guys saying that from songs on this album. I just never thought this that would be. This is the one... I th yeah, I don't know. This is, of all of the songs on this album, this is the one I've listened to the most. I've probably listened to this one on repeat a few times. It's just I different for me, right? Like, love this song. I've heard his stupider songs, no offense, but like, just, just weird songs a million times. I'm just very, I'm just very shocked that you both had like a, a favorite song that was on this album. Because to me... <laughs> We're, we're among friends here. <laughs> this is not his best album by, like, a long ways. A long ways. I knew it would be contentious. Yeah. He <laughs> said it right there in the intro. Yep. So, yeah, for me, this is a solid five stars. And, like, for you with the um, oh, wow. Always It Forget Me. Yeah, this is one of probably, like, my top five of his songs that he's done. Wow. It was Now Disappear. Oh, Now Disappear. I'm sorry. Yeah. Really hard of I cannot get the song titles on this song for on this album. I cannot. Get That's them. literally what I came out with at the end of this. I was like, I can't fucking tell you. Like <laughs> I, I wrote everything down and I can like kind of remember it as I'm reading it back. But like it does not. Like you can pick me a song on any of his other albums and I'm like, oh, like that's that song. I can't fucking tell you. But that's like, also what... like the point of this album, though. It's supposed to flow together. Yeah. Like, it's supposed to be a cohesive... Yeah. So yeah. it's so, done its job. That's why I can't pick up. It has. It has. So, so I, I really like this song. I, I really enjoy it. It's four to five. That's very strong for me for this album. 
And for me, five five out of five. It's definitely a highlight of the album. Next, up. at least I didn't hate it. Right? <laughs> you guys are like you fucking dick. <laughs> no next, hard feelings. Next, we'll see about the next one. Yeah. Next <laughs> up is um, I cannot speak, and I, I don't have a ton to say about this one. The lyrics are really mm-hmm. min- minimal, and they just repeat through the entire song. They just say a lot without saying much. I, I can't really pinpoint what exactly the message is, but it seems very meaningful. I am so scared, I cannot see, I cannot hear, I cannot speak. maybe an unpopular opinion i probably would have liked this track better without any vocals at all i think it has a really funky beat and a fun i would agree with that but the vocals kind of take away from it a little bit i think i i fucking i i have never thought that in my entire life because i am all about lyrics i feel like it took it yeah now that you said that yeah it fucked the song for me um i have thoughts thoughts. (laughs) okay so i don't have many thoughts on this song it's kind of like Frank Zappa-esque. I don't know. Like, I, I enjoy it for what it is, but I am never, ever going to pick out this song in a million years. It's it's a little bit frantic for me. Like, I just, I don't enjoy it. And I would agree that it doesn't really work outside of the context of the album. Like, right. it's not a, a track that you would ever put on a playlist or anything. Yeah. yeah. But for me, this track is all about the vocals. Like, musically... I've listened to this album more times than I can count, and I couldn't really tell you what's going on musically. That's not the point. (laughs) But the vocals feel like a mantra, just kind of being trapped in this looping thought process and trapped in this feeling of anxiety. The song itself just feels like an admission of vulnerability. So for me, what this song is about is Matt is... Maybe this is starting to shift, but still probably most famous for his voice, right? He's still, like, to this day does a lot of voiceover yesterday a new voiceover ad that he did for a video game came out if he can't speak he loses connection with his public persona and that's i'm sure for him a scary thought and maybe also a freeing thought so i think this is about fame and his kind of push-pull love-hate relationship with fame and just kind of playing with the idea of giving it all up that's that's good i like that i mean yeah Okay. If that's the theme of the song, then that works. I'm just thinking as like a piece of music. It, like if you're if it's a statement piece, then I get that. But like as a piece of music, I kind of feel like the vocals are a little distracting because I think the music is really good. Like it doesn't. That's the thing. Like I don't like the. I'm the one person who's like, oh, I love lyrics. I don't think they benefit this song at all. I don't know. And we can't know because Matt's so. not going to come on the show. Like Matt, let us like. <laughs> Pick your brain. You never know. You might. He's not gonna know. He's gonna be like, that was like three years ago. (laughs) We always say that. I swear to God, every episode we're like, 
Matt, if you're listening, he's never listening. That's he's Courtney's never catchphrase. Listening. Is that my catchphrase? <laughs> I think it is. I think it honestly is. It is. Matt, if you're yeah. listening, we would love to have you on. Yes. Can you please come and tell us? I know if that's going to come as a big surprise to you. Accurate. I know that you don't want to come to somebody else's conclusion, but you obviously had thoughts when you made this, and we just want to know if those thoughts are what we're thinking too, um, because it's kind of aggravating not knowing for sure. So thank you. I feel like we're the last person. Now that I've thought about this, I think that we're the last people he ever wants to go on and do an interview with, because we're like, "Well, what did you mean for this?" And he's like. I didn't mean shit. Like, I didn't mean shit. I just, like, thought it sounded good. I don't think that's true at all. No. I think a lot of his stuff, though, is just, like, I thought it sounded good. No. I really do. Like, I... I don't think he does anything without purpose. I don't think he does anything without meaning and intention. I I love that. I don't think he just does that to do stuff. So, cannot speak. How many stars did we give it? Four stars for me. Boo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's it's slight musically, but so powerful vocally to me. So powerful lyrically. I gave it three stars for the opposite reason. <laughs> Two. It's, it's not a good song. It's not. It's not great. It's not great. It's not even great. Uh, anyways. Well. Send me hate mail. On that care. note, we've made it through side A. Let's <laughs> flip over the album and move on to side B, starting with the title track, The Blue Elephant. This is another largely instrumental track. It kind of calls back to a board in that slow build, uh, kind of moving from calming to pulsating. Feels like a pulse quickening. It has kind of a frenetic drum beat, like all respect to Craig Blundell. It feels like the drum beat is trying to outrun the rest of the song. But what's really interesting about this track to me is, is the vocals that are on there. Someone out there might dispute or correct me on this. I was hoping to rewatch The Elephant Man before doing this episode. <laughs> and I just did not that. have time. Yeah. I just, I'm leaving my job. I'm about to start grad school. My life's a hot mess right now. Yeah. And I just didn't have time. But I could swear that his lyrics in the album directly lift from The Elephant Man. The first hmm. part of it, right? When he's talking. Mm-hmm. Yes, I actually have the same thing. I said... I haven't seen the movie so for a while, so I can't remember. But is the first line a direct quote from the Elephant Man? I cannot remember but, if it is or not. But you know what? It doesn't matter it because doesn't. even if it's not, it evokes the film so yeah, strongly yeah, yeah. that the connection is clearly meant to be there. You then step into the light. I said step into the light.
should have had a weird watch through of the Elephant Man because it's a weird movie. Like we I remember with, seeing it. Like we did with um <laughs> This would have been even Jesus weirder. Yeah. I don't think the movie would have been weird. I think the movie is really good. It's just really I remember good drama. it being weird, but I saw it like fifteen years ago, so I don't I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's kind of experimental, but I didn't think it was weird. I remember it. Like I remember the prosthetics and no, I remember it. And I that's mean, it's based on a true story, kind of pretty good movie for us to watch but again we would have watched it for like two hours and it would have been like streaming on pluto oh okay oh yeah that's why i thought the movie was older because it's in black and white Mm -hmm. that's why i was like 1980 really okay and anthony hopkins was like really young it's a really great movie. i mean just the whole story about joseph merrick is really really well i remember it like i remember it now being however many decades later I i remember that movie and so when when i saw the blue elephant i was like that's the elephant man. Like I know him from yeah. that movie. So he also yeah. made an Except, appearance uh, in Year of the Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Except from that quote we read earlier in the episode, it's not the elephant man. It's clearly the yeah. elephant man. I the mean, it's man. the elephant man, but it's symbolic. It it's, is symbolic. It's, for I, sure it's symbolic. Matt. Let's okay. just say it. Well, it let's, yeah. let's go back to the song. So I think part of what this whole overall, the elephant man things and with the first line of the song about you there come into the light you know he feels like a freak people are staring at him when he goes out in public i think that's very telling because it's the same thing with the elephant man people would stare at him when he goes out in public and that's just another thing about you know dealing with fame and all of that but also this is the second song from the album that's a sister song from milk bone this matches up with automatic foot it has the same melody yeah about halfway through the song kind of sounds like carnival music which is a little bit terrifying and then it goes into an extended acid trip and then at the very end i like there's like a xylophone or the glockenspiel i'm not sure which one it is but uh, i thought that was a cool ending it's that a cool terrifying. song it's it definitely cool. him le- leaning into his proggy yeah influences uh, i can agree with that yeah what do we want to give the blue elephant i gave the blue elephant five stars wow you're That's actually so going strong. higher than i am i'm oh. going 4.5 i just, I just- I can't. I can't. Like, it's a good song. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think it's up to par with what he can do. I gave it a three out of five. I just think there's so much going on with it. There's like so many different things happening all at one time. There is. And it really sets the stage with there the is. opening line. And then it just kind of is like, floop. It like flips off into something else. And it's like, I don't know. I think it's super cool. Anyway. So we're up to track Life 10. Unknown. Life Unknown. Yeah. So this is a fun one. Go for it. So it starts with Who's That Man? The man with, and then you get into a backwards track. Who's that man? Which man? The man that's
when this when this album first came out, obviously our first our first cry. For that was help the first question. In, in I remember posting that in on the Facebook group. Yeah, in the, like has anyone in the Matt Berry reversed music it yet? Group. Right, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're like, <laughs> what does this say? Who's reversed it? So you know, our friend Rich came to the rescue once again, and he reversed the track. Um, Thanks, Rich. It's still really, really hard to hear what he's saying. Yeah. But so he starts with who's that man? And then it says the man with and then it goes backwards. So for what I think it's saying is the man with 10 eyes, 12 noses, five penises and a cunt. Yeah, that's what I have, too. <laughs> OK, that's exactly um, what I have. So, yeah, I when I heard this, I'm like, OK, so this is like another thing is like maybe, you know, when people are looking at him there, he's like feels like a freak, like he's got 10 eyes and, you know, people are staring at him like he's living like a specimen on display. And then if there's a whole other song, like when you get around to the 100 uh, minute 25 mark. It, it, it's like there's a whole other song playing in the left channel. Yeah. And there's he's saying something, but you just cannot make out what he's saying. It's like so close that you can almost make it out, like maybe every other word or something, but just not enough to make any sense of it. Towards the end of the song, there's like some echoey chanting. To me, it sounds like almost like an African, like African music. Mm-hmm. Kind of. So it gets a bit frantic around the one minute 10 mark, like a little bit insane it's whispered words and just a constant background conversation that you can't quite make out it feels like a manic mind with several streams of thought just competing for your attention trying to make sense of something that's nonsensical yeah yeah that's yeah so you got that same backwards track you got the same yeah. thing. Ten yeah. Yeah. I did. Five penises. Yeah. I, I got the exact. I got the exact same thing. Matt can't stop himself from talking about penises and like <laughs> to say cunt, and to say it like in the reverse. I think that's, that's totally Matt. That's a really. I think totally it is. word that's not exactly clear, but I think that's what it is. Is that I think what it you is got too. from it, too, Courtney? Courtney? Do you get mm-hmm. the same thing? He definitely was yeah. trying to sneak in the sneak in a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Which, good for, good for you, Matt. It's That's so good. funny that they just use that word so loosey-goosey in England. Yeah. And for us, it's like, you cannot say that. Like That's really. like the and word. I say it all the time. I describe people as cunts <laughs> what? way more frequently than I should. So funny. For here, oh, it's man. still like, it's shocking. Like, you can't say yeah. it on TV. You just, you just don't say it. Like, it's you like, yeah. You say it quietly to your close friends because you cannot mm-hmm. say that out loud. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. It's like shame. Courtney's just like, just I don't like, care. Whatever, you know. It packs <laughs> yeah. a punch. Call your best friend. You want to. It does. It does. <laughs> it's so funny. You want to make an impact. It, yeah. I remember the first time I ever heard that word is when I watched The Silence of the Lambs. Hmm. And I was I like, don't oh, hey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was when she went to the jail, when Clarice went to the prison for the first time to meet Hannibal Lecter. And yeah, and he, he says he's in like, and all of the, um, you know, the inmates were, I think they're, I think it's a psych ward. And the one, yeah. like, yells at her, I can smell your cunt. I'm like, oh my God, what the hell? Mom, <laughs> what does this mean? I watched a movie by myself for the first time. I was at home 
alone. I don't know why I decided to watch that movie when I was the worst thing came out. Maybe I was like 14. I don't even know if I was that old, but like, what the hell possessed me to do that? And then I was that's a dumb thing to watch. Yeah, Yeah, like that's. (laughs) I love that movie, but like then it's a dumb thing to watch on your own. Like it's scary. Like it's a scary movie. Like even now, like 30 years later or whatever it is, it's like. I mean, it's terrifying. It's not one of my better life choices when I was a teenager. <laughs> no, I've made worse. I digress. Courtney, what do you have to say about Life Unknown? So this is my favorite piece of music that Matt Berry has ever written. <gasps> this is oh my, my God. number one all-time favorite Matt song. Wow. That's oh unexpected. my God. Yeah. Not even a contest. Wow. First of all, I think this piece is just musically beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. It just sucks you in. It's got those whirling synths, kind of the hush vocals. It just feels like you're kind of entering a vortex when you listen to it. But the lyrics, even though this is not a lyrically heavy song, he's not saying a lot. What he does say is such a gut punch to me. It sounds like a plea. It's personal. He wants to live his life unknown, wants peace. But it's universal. And I so identify with that sentiment of wanting to be left alone and also wanting to be loved. Because there is this contrast in the words between let me live my life unknown and uh, the kind of layered part where he talks about it's too much to lose. I'd rather be in someone else's shoes. There's this unspecified dilemma. And I think that it's about, again, his relationship with being in the public eye. Just knowing what I know about him, what we know about him. There's kind of a contrast between letting him live his life unknown and some of the choices he's been making in his particularly filming projects, which seem more and more high profile, seem to increase his celebrity. As of this recording, just a couple of days ago, he was announced, at least in discussions, not confirmed for the new Minecraft film, which is a really, really prominent project. So there's this kind of dialectic there and this tension. And even though that's very, I'm never going to be famous, I hope, it's very (laughs) foreign to my own experiences. Like, I'm an introvert, I struggle to make friends, a lot of times I want to be left alone. And then when I am left alone, I feel like cripplingly lonely a lot of the time. Mm. And to me, that's what this song is about. And I just get that on a very visceral level. And you you all, uh, you both kind of touched on that moment about two minutes, 49 seconds in is what I recorded, where that burst of distorted vocals come in. And I think that is the single best moment on this album, single best moment on one of my favorite albums. Because it sounds, there's so many ways to kind of hear that. It sounds celebratory. It sounds terrifying. It kind of invites you in. All at the same time, you listen to that and you can't really make out what they're saying. Jesse, I think you're right that it sounds like kind of an African chant and you want to know what's going on, but it's just out of reach. And that's like the introvert's dilemma, right? Do I (laughs) get closer? Do I try to kind of find out? Do I take this risk? Yeah, this song just speaks to me. It's disorienting. It's disorienting because with being an introvert, there's always that balance of you kind of crave sometimes being with other people, but that it has to be like just the right amount. Otherwise, it just drains your battery completely. And you're like, okay, now I need to be alone for a while. But the song, when you really pay attention to it, you're like, there's so many things going on with this at the same time. It is disorienting, but in a good way. Yeah. So this is... This is the best song on the album. This is the only one I gave a five out of five. 
I just, I just loved everything you said. Like it, you said exactly what I kind of felt. Something I've always really kind of identified with around Matt is I tend to be a really private person too. Like just being on this podcast is a big deal to me. And this song is all about like the comfort and privacy and also the downsides of privacy. Yeah. Yeah. Five out of five for me. Easy five out of five. I give it four out of five. It doesn't resonate with me the same way. (laughs) I think it's really masterful and, and, but it just, that's pretty close though. Give me that same feeling as some of the other songs. I mean, just, just a personal preference. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Well, I know that's how you feel, or some variation of that is how you feel about a lot of the songs on the small hours, and a lot of those songs just mm. fall flat for me. So yeah, okay. There's just yeah. no, no. It's just so personal. It's a, yeah, it is. It's a personal preference. I think it's partly the album itself, which I yeah. think is really excellent, but it's also context. Like when this album came out, I had just broken my foot a couple of well, actually about a month before. I was kind of laid up on the couch still, like I couldn't really, I couldn't drive, couldn't really get around well. I was just dealing with a lot in my personal life and not in a great headspace. And that was around the time or a few months before that, that I really discovered Matt and started to connect with both of you and connect with kind of the community of fans around his music. And finding that space, which Tara, your Facebook group was a big part of that. It was kind of a bright spot in that time in my life. Like when this album was announced and all these articles started coming out, um, I remember just being so excited for every new interview. It was like something to look forward to when life felt kind of like a dead end in a lot of ways. And I remember, like I kind of mentioned in my intro, staying up, listening to it when it was released on Spotify. And I think a lot of us were listening right when it came out in our time zone and like comparing notes on Facebook. And it just felt I felt connected and I didn't have that in my life in a lot of other places right at that time so yeah this song will always be this album will always be that for me I really enjoyed this because I'm gonna like think of these songs now and like kind of think of like what they like meant to you guys as opposed to like what they meant to me if that makes sense I don't know it does that's how I hear Opium now when I listen to it because of you. And that's how I hear The Small Hours when I listen to it because of Jesse. It's like, they're not my favorites, but they have new layers of meaning because of what I know they mean to both of you. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. That's so sweet. Yep. Moving on to Safer Passage. Safer Passage. Like, so my whole thing with this is just, I am such a fan of Matt doing different things like with a certain song and so he's like well this is safe passage well you know what i need like a buffer between life unknown and like stone i'm gonna like do this and it's safer passage which i think i think it's Mm kind of clever i don't know what to say about it like it's just like a nice little little interlude like the the album it really does flow well it really does. Like, it, it flows well together, and this is just kind of like a, a buffer between the two songs to me. Thank you. 
instruments are a little different. I can't tell for sure if the drumming is a little bit more pronounced. I, you know, this song confuses me because why do the same thing twice on the same album? I mean, I guess it is basically an interlude, but he said in that other interview that what there were three tracks that didn't make the list, that didn't make yeah. the album. Like, yeah. what was it about this one where he felt he needed to use it again? Was it just because he couldn't dovetail one of the other ones into the next track? Or what, what was it exactly? Why, why use that space to do basically the same thing? Unless I'm just yeah. not hearing it as something totally different. I mean, it's not totally different. It's slightly different. It's slightly different. Like it's my guess is that the three songs which were left off are just full limb songs, which yeah. didn't flow or which he just felt yeah. weren't strong enough. And this isn't, this is just an interlude basically. Yeah. And it serves the same purpose as the first time around. It's just a bridge. Yeah. I didn't even give this one any stars. I thought the first one was more, I, I gave know. it the same, like three to five. Like it's a good, it's a good bridge. Like, would I give Safe Passage? I gave it four stars, so there you go. Oh, okay. Um, and that's the one that overlaps with two sequences on Milkbone. So, yeah, there you go. We'll give it four stars again, even though I don't get yeah, why I gave... it's on there twice. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked back. It was like three to five, three to five. Uh, it's fine. I don't remember what I gave it the first time around because <laughs> um, I didn't write it down. Probably four out of five. I like how the melody kind of shifts from comforting to a little yeah. bit menacing over the course of the song. Yeah. It works, but, you know, it's not. Its purpose is fully, uh, purely functional. So moving on to Like Stone. This is another one of those songs that just make me so sad. She, she moves like stone Says she don't know Leave her alone Me, me, I don't care Don't touch my hair my hair obviously we know that this is likely a big issue for him because he's known for his hair because it's <laughs> luscious and wonderful and he says try not to stare in my home all alone live alone kill my phone is this just like does he just want to disappear completely and yeah. then there's a really cool guitar solo around or it's not even a solo i mean it's just it's just a little bit of guitar around the two minute and four second mark. And then this song actually fades out and could become a standalone track. But then the wounded elephants return at the very end. That kind of transition. The dinosaurs. The thing I wanted to get your opinion. What is the, is he saying hide my bone? I think so. I think so. Like a dog. Yeah. It's also Uh, probably a little bit of a double entendre. I was thinking the double entendre. But... Yeah, like about his penis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My big question to you guys is, 
So there has been, this is the one song on the album that has had a few remixes. Mm -hmm. There's been the Sean Ono Lennon remix and then the Moon Duo remix. Do you guys prefer either of those or do you prefer the original? I honestly have not really listened to either of them. I I (laughs) bought the Sean Ono Lennon one and I think I put it away i don't think i even listened to it you didn't even I mean, listen I to it listened to it on spotify when it came out i think i listened to it yeah once. i'm not a remix person unless of course Typically. it's the theme song for our podcast which is masterfully <laughs> remixed by phil Scraggs. thanks phil a really good remix and i, do I don't want to say that really, that's really like really a like that. le- <laughs> i feel bad to say that that's like a legitimately good remix it is but a it's like amazing good. it is a it should have been on the album good remix it should have been on the album and i'm not a remix person and it is no legitimate no me neither and it's sad it's sad to me that the only home that it has is the intro and outro of our podcast and i isn't that sad i I mean not for us for us like for us it's amazing i i want everybody to hear it because i think it deserves better it honestly should have been on night terrors tara but it deserves more to answer your question, Tara, I like the Sean Ono Lennon remix a lot. I don't really care for the Moon Duo one, but neither one of them hold a candle to the original. Agreed. Me. Agreed. Stamp um, it. This is kind of the most straightforward song on the album. It's the poppiest song on the album. I also hear really strong soul influence in there. It actually reminds me at points of 90s alt pop. Like there's around 33 seconds in, there's this strumming guitar, like acoustic guitar part that reminds me of kind of 90s college rock. And I love 90s college rock. So (laughs) for me, that's high praise. But lyrically, like you said, it's just totally opposite. I think it's kind of a companion piece to life unknown in that it speaks to the joys of solitude and the comforts of pushing others away, right? Like leave her alone, she don't know. To me, it actually sounds like he's really enjoying being alone at his house, killing his bone, hiding his bone. Yeah, I, I yeah. get that too. A couple of weeks ago, I had a bad day and I just like left Facebook Messenger for a while. And it's been kind of freeing. Like, I don't feel tethered to my phone the same way that I did. I'm not constantly checking for dings. Like, I don't think I realized how much that was kind of governing the flow of my day until I was without it. And I'll rejoin at some point. I just needed a pause. But I get that feeling. Courtney kept her notifications on. So you would have to be careful if you messaged her in the middle of the night because you kept your volume on. Why don't you put your do not disturb on? Because I didn't want to miss anything. Right. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Because I have friends who are night owls. I have friends in the UK. And I was worried about missing messages in the middle of the night. That's like the truth. And also I was worried that my family might try to contact me in the middle of the night. Well... It's funny that you mention this because in Flint Magazine from May twenty, uh, May 17th of 2021, they actually asked Matt about isolation and lyric writing. Do you feel as if such isolation heightened your lyric writing, allowed you to focus on issues run rampant in 2020? And he said, like, unlike everybody else who got to bounce their ideas off each other, I'm not on social media. When I'm on my own, there isn't anyone for me to talk to. I don't jump on my phone or talk on Twitter or whatever. So the echo of your own thoughts are amplified when you're on your own. And they asked, why are you not on social media? And he said, because I haven't seen any good sides to it. 
I haven't witnessed many people made happy by it. It's just not of any interest, really. That's probably the main reason. I'm interested in other things, and those things take up a lot of time. So maybe, Courtney, you're having this sort of revelation as well. Definitely. And kind of calling back to what we talked about, I think it was with Now Disappear. I think that's why he stopped using Twitter so frequently and kind of purge most of his history. I don't think it had anything to do with cancel culture. I think he just got burned out on it. I suspect that it was probably just this moment of feeling overwhelmed by it and just cutting the cord. And that's what he was responding to. And that's a lot of what this song is about. This is one of the singles that Acid Jazz released before the album. I think this was the last of three tracks they released as kind of teaser singles before the album's release. I think it was the strongest of those three it's just a great song. Five out of five. Agreed. Five out of five. I gave this a solid four to five. I, I love this song. It's really good. And I understand why people have made remixes of it, but it's not as good as the original. And I appreciate you guys for being like, the original was the best. Those elephants at the end are, it's an interesting place to put them, right? Because like the song's kind of celebratory to my ears it sounds kind of joyous even and then the mood just like sours and yeah. you get those elephants again yeah and then it goes into story told which is one of those songs he talked about in the interviews we read at the beginning where he's really playing with song structures really playing with kind of doing a way of traditional verse chorus verse because this is really i'd say two songs in one but i think that it's two sides of the same coin section calls back to safe passage and the blue elephant it's kind of this like mid-tempo uh kind of slowly building melody lots of chirping synths and then at about a minute 14 in it just shifts and it becomes frantic and there's this heavy reverb in the vocals they kind of feel distorted again like distant even hard to decipher at points and i mentioned that invisible to me feels like a panic attack i get the same thing from this one um it just feels panicked and frightened And the lyrics speak to, again, themes of 
lack of privacy, lack of control. And it's just musically a cool song. Like, it really leans hard into that late 60s sound. There's like these bursts of what sound like marching band horns, but are really just synthesizer. Layer that with the kind of paranoia in the song and the unease, and it kind of makes you feel jumpy and like hypervigilant, and it just works so well. This is another one where I, I'm glad that I took notes when I was listening, because <laughs> I cannot for the life of me think of the melody of the song right now. Um, really? Yeah, I cannot think of it. So It's such an earworm for me. I'm sure if I heard it, I would think the same. Like, I just I completely think in the agree. moment, I cannot I think of what it agree. sounds like. So I know when I listened to it, it started off very mellow and subdued until the drums kicked in. And then I remembered that there was a melody change about halfway through. And the vocals kicked in. And to me, it just sounded sort of like nonsense rhyming lyrics. Kind of yep. maybe what he sort of did with Man of Doom. But I can't oh. really make out a lot of what he's saying. It's garbled i guess i have that exactly i have that exactly like i literally wrote down and i've listened to this album 20 times in the last week i really have no idea what he is saying i had to google it then of course once i googled it I could read the lyrics afterwards. So, like, well, who knows I if literally that's even right though, because that's just I don't know if it interpretation is. Of what I don't saying. know if it is, but they like once I read it, I was like, that that makes sense. I actually edited these lyrics on Genius the first time. Oh, did you? Only time I've ever done that. Yeah, because <gasps> it initially said my trousers red, and I was like, I'm pretty sure it's trials are red. I get where you'd hear trousers, I agree with you. and that doesn't make any sense. So. Yeah, I went on I Genius and edited it. But I don't... I appreciate you because... The trials red, does that make sense? It makes more sense than trousers? I don't know. He has orange trousers. <laughs> I don't know. That's he why does. I just thought they were kind Neon of like orange. nonsense rhyming lyrics. Because I heard I heard trousers too. I don't know. Okay. I, I just... For me, I it's really, really hard to make out what he's saying. It is. Which I think is by design. Yeah. I mean, apparently yeah. when I was listening to this song, when I was taking notes on it, I liked it. <laughs> but like now me can't remember it. So, I mean, it's not bad. I just not memorable. I'm sure if I heard it right now, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this song. I mean, obviously I would because I've heard it a billion times, but cannot picture it in my head. I gave it three stars. Tara? No, that's I said 2.5. <laughs> oh, wow. This is a five-star <laughs> song for me. Oh, my God! I wish I could fucking remember it. What the hell? Oh, my God. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. We're almost there, guys. Two more. Next one doing is it. Forget Me. have the balls but drop them all 
I, that is such a good line. I've always heard I have big balls, but drop them oh. all. Oh, okay. I've heard I, I have the balls, too. Okay, that's fair. Either way, they're balls. If that is the correct line, that totally kills, like, one of the few criticisms I've had of the album, because I was going to say that kind of jokey lyric kills the tone of the song. But if he just says the balls, oh. it's still not a great line, but it's a little better. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it because I don't think it is jokey. I think it's like I had the balls to do something, but I dropped them all. Like I backed out. Yeah. It seems like a little bit profound to me. I know that seems silly to say, but it it, it does seem like a little bit profound. So this is the other one that has backwards lyrics and they're at 55 Mm -hmm. seconds and a minute. I still cannot figure out what he's saying. This is what I have. I have never had the time, never had a chance, something, 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 something about romance. That's all I have. That's what I have, too. I, okay. To me, it sounds, like, it sounds like never had the chance and then something, something, and then add and romance. Why don't you just yeah. sit in the moment? Mm-hmm. You heard that, too? Why don't you just sit yeah, in the moment? I did. The lyrics are very shrouded in this one. It's really hard mm-hmm. to know what the hell he's talking about. Um, I've listened to it a lot. Pretty much the only thing is that the thing with the balls, that's really the only thing I could come to any conclusion about. And I don't obviously know if that's what he meant. (laughs) I'm on board with that, though. I think that's the... I'm not a huge fan of the vocals and the lyrics on this one. I really like the song in general. I think that doing the backwards vocals twice on the album and then twice in the song is a little bit gimmicky, but I really, really, really like the music on this one. I do agree with you on that. It works for me, and it works for the same reasons that I've already touched on a few times, which is just this kind of recurring theme of distorting his voice, making his voice illegible. He even does it on Story Told. I don't think that's accidental. I think it's his way of commenting on his fame, right? His voice is his trademark. I think he's yeah, just obscuring his voice to comment on his need for privacy, his need to be out of the public eye and live his life unknown. And I think that's his way of making that connection. That's fair. To me, the song feels resigned. Like, he's asking to be forgotten, and he knows that's no longer going to happen. It's out of the picture. I really like this song. Like, there's this heavy reverb on the vocals again, but it feels a lot less gimmicky than it does in Summer Sun. It feels haunted and ghostly, and the song itself kind of feels placid. Again, going back to the fact that this album was written during COVID, during lockdown, I guess we don't know for sure that he was living by himself, but we have every reason to think that he was. He had just gone through yeah. a breakup. So I think that this is yet another song that's kind of about finding peace in being alone and just kind of being in your own head. Yeah, I agree. I give this one four stars. Because I think the music really does make up for what it's lacking in the vocals and the, the lyrics. 
I gave it a three and a half. 4.5 stars, and it loses a half a star because of the line about his balls. <laughs> <laughs> That's what knocked it up for me. <laughs> like, so to that. speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we have reached the end. Now disappear again. It's really hard to explain, but this song sounds like a grand finale. I, I, it's hard to put mm. into words. Like, it sounds like he's just given everything he had into this album. And he's like just sort of winding down, running out of energy. This is sort of the last hurrah. Like, this song absolutely sounds like it me- was meant, it was written to and meant to be the last song. more mellow than now disappear it's a little bit slower it's a little less frilly it just sounds like a wind down and i think it's just a really 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 perfect ending that it's just leaving you in the right spot like if you were to do an encore like this is the type of song it's just like okay now i know it's the end and i it's just kind of intangible i can't explain it really well but i can feel it Aww, that's really nice (laughs) It is, and I would totally agree with that. I wrote that it feels like a dirge. I I already spoke about the original version and how much I love it, and this just feels like kind of a darker, sadder version of that. And then there's that production break about Midway that kind of calls back to the tribal chants you hear, or Mm -hmm. tribal-sounding chants you hear on uh, Blues Inside Me and on Life Unknown. And then I love that it ends with the echo of Summer Sun, Even if Summer Sun is not a song which completely works for me, I think it the placement here totally lands because it's, he talked about um, yeah yeah the song is about naive euphoria and that euphoria has been lost and the song's no longer party music now it feels more mature it feels sadder it feels mournful yeah it's like it kind of is like an overture of the album and I, maybe that's the reason why I feel like it's like a finale it wraps everything up really really well. It is a good outro for Matt. Like, I I just think he's so good at doing intros and outros. Like, he's just so talented. I can't help but like this song. Like, really, truly. Yeah. That's the Blue Elephant. Yep. Five stars for me on that one. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what are we going to give this one? So I give uh, Now Disappear Again. I give it four. I really really do like this song. Yeah, I would say five. There's not a whole lot to it, but... 
it just is a perfect capper to the album. Yeah, there's not a whole lot to it. And that's why I'm saying it's kind of intangible, but it really somehow works. I don't know if he meant to do that. I don't know if he's just like, hey, sure, let's put this one at the end. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't do anything I think by it accident. Works. Yeah. No, he doesn't. No. But, so my final thoughts on this album is, overall, I think he's done something really, really masterful. It's completely original to anything else I've ever heard, other than, you know, the two songs that were also on Milkbone. And it's, <laughs> um, it's completely him. Even though this is his first, like, full psychedelic album, it just sounds like him. It's just got his his fingerprint all over it, which is yeah. also kind of intangible. Like, I can't explain why it sounds like him, but it sounds like him, <laughs> even though this is a completely yeah. different style than anything he's done before. Is this my favorite album of his? No, it's not. I don't listen to this very often. It's definitely not my favorite album. But with that thing being said, I think this is his best album. I think start to finish... Um, as a complete package, I think this is his best album that he's done. Dude, I can't believe you just said that. Like, I agreed with everything you said. Like, <laughs> it, it is just, it is just, like, okay, so I've been listening, but this is not an album I will ever pick out. It's just not. It's just not. Everything you said and everything Courtney said is going to make me continue listening to this. <laughs> Like, going forward. I mean, I mainly don't listen to it because it's very heavy and depressing. It really does make me feel depressed. Because I just feel kind of like what I feel like he was feeling. I think it just translates so much that I feel that. And I, yeah. I don't like that feeling. So that's why I say this is not my favorite of his albums. It's not one that I go to a lot. It's not one that I listen to a lot. But... As far as what he did with it, it really is like a masterpiece. It's it's really amazing. Yeah. It's no, so interesting that you say that. And I've heard you say that before. Like we've talked about this before, Jesse, but it doesn't sound depressing to me. Certain songs do. But there's also so many moments that feel joyous and full of life. Blues inside me, like stone. Even when the songs are about being in, being alone. It sounds like there's a sense of relief in being alone, which I know I felt during the early stages of COVID. I think a lot of people mm. felt during the early stages of COVID, yeah. and I would bet anything he felt during that period. So we don't really think of this as a COVID album explicitly, but I think it's all over the themes. Uh, musically, I think it's a masterpiece. It sounds like technical technicolor looks it's just yeah. like vibrant yeah. and bright and it's got a perfect cover too which mm -hmm. doesn't hurt five out of five on the whole album i mean oh, yeah. i already buried the lead at the start it's one of my favorites yeah. ever five out of five for me Aww. for sure i'm not even gonna say i don't want to say because <laughs> i don't want to like detract from you guys loving I mean, it so you much you have your opinion of it i mean it's I, like three I to five okay it's <laughs> three to five it's yeah. three to five is this I can an enjoy album it. that I'm going to bring on my desert island? No, no. it's not. But, but Courtney's going to bring it. I completely mm -hmm. appreciate it for what it is and what he did. Yeah. And I think it's amazing. I just think it like speaks to Matt's ability to just make music uh, that he just decides to make. He's just kind of like... I'm going to do a fucking psych rock album and he just does it and he kicks ass so hard. Like he's just so capable, just like with Phantom Birds, where I was just like head over heels and love 
with everything on that album. He is just <laughs> so diverse. And I know it sounds kind of like whatever, but like he's just just so diverse. He can do whatever he wants. He, and he, he is very... Whatever he sets his mind to. Like, I'm going to make this yeah. style of music. He has not failed mm-hmm. yet. All right. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I know this was a long one, but hopefully, hopefully we had some insightful comments, or at least you can laugh at the interpretations we found. We are on just about every social media channel. Find us at Obsessed Obscure on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and we have a very active Discord channel, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this album as well. Until next time!